couldn't play ball, he had these holes in his feet. We'd all get in trouble when Eddie was bad, especially the time when he iced his dad. Now he doesn't give a what anyone thinks. Not since he outsmarted that damn bully sphinx. But you won't find him out here looking for love. Apparently his mommy gives him enough, yeah. Oh mommy, mommy, see how good I'm being. Oh mommy, mommy, won't you please tuck me in? Pay no attention to those prophets of doom. Just let one part of me return to the womb. That motherfucker got us all in a jam. But now he's left Thebes and he's out on the lamb. We're still incurring the wrath of the gods. Just cause that thought that he could beat the odds, yeah. We tried to warn him, but Eddie was blind. He didn't see that his fate was assigned. I guess my mouth was full from sucking his dick. That's why she didn't warn he put an eye out with that stick, yeah. Oh mommy, mommy, see how good I'm being. Oh mommy, mommy, won't you please tuck me in? Pay no attention to those prophets of doom. Just let one part of me And welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and that was a lovely song by, well, played by me on my uh, ukulele here, obviously, but um, originally by the Perfectly Normal Band. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to our 100th episode of Cast and Wax. I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, it's been an extra long time since last time I, I had an episode, and that episode I was barely even on because, as I said, I was preparing for this episode, but it is going to be worth it. There is going to be so much amazing stuff on this episode that you are going to be thrilled. There is almost an hour and a half of all new content on this, and that's not, I mean, not including this part where we're just chatting. There's almost an hour and a half of stuff. So, um, without further ado, let me bring out my guests. First up, of course, uh, resident of the house, um, my gray little furry cat and sometimes son, Mr. Scape White. Thank you for for being here. Thank you for listening to this amazing 100th episode where I am now 100 years old. No, no, this is not 100. We haven't been doing the podcast for 100 years. We've been doing it for 100 episodes. Oh, well, okay. Um, thank you for listening. This is 100 episodes I've been on. No, I don't think that's true. No, I don't think that's true either. I don't think you've been on all the episodes. So, no, you. I, I haven't even been on all the episodes. I quit the podcast for a while, but the podcast itself has been on for 100 episodes. Well, but if none of us were here. Yeah, but I know it's, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. The point is that the podcast has been on for 100 episodes and we've, I mean, technically it's been, I mean, if you count the episodes that are not actual episodes, then it's been on for more than that. What do you mean? Well... There, I mean, I did this zeroth episode, but it was a zeroth episode. It was marked as zero. So there was 101 episodes? That's how many? Well, no, because again, if you count, I mean, no, if you count that, you probably have to count all like the like interludes. So this would probably be the hundred and like third. But you don't, I mean, don't count them. That's, they don't count. I, they're numbered. Everything is numbered. But for, this is 103. No, no, no. It's not, it's not really 103. There was uh, the, the zeroth episode that doesn't count. There was an episode where I played a song from Sailor Moon. That doesn't count. There was an episode where, I got my ukulele for the first time, and I was just sitting around playing the ukulele. That doesn't count, because they weren't full episodes. They were very, very super short, and they were just me going like, I'm playing the ukulele. Like, you know what I mean? There was nothing... That doesn't... It doesn't count. I do say so. I'm, this is what I'm saying. It doesn't count. This is the 100th episode. Which we haven't all been here for 100 episodes. Th- look, you're, why are you pooping on this glory. This is a good thing. There's This is something good that is happening in my life, instead of all the ridiculous hardships. What ridiculous hardships? 
You get whatever you want. No, that's. We'll talk about it later. I don't want to talk about it now. This is a this is a happy episode. We are all happy on this episode because the one hundred episodes of we were on. No, we were on most of the episodes. I think you were you were on on like I don't know three episodes or something stupid like that. And I I quit the show for a while, so I was off of it. But no, that's why I was running it. Right. That was. But I it was better. Okay. Look, the point is you're getting me all aggravated, Scape. Well, well, what? D- don't. Do that. We have another guest to bring on, uh, which is our another our other usual guest, which is Mr. Rory Sinjin. Hello, everyone. Yes, thank you for that introduction. My name is Rory Sinjin, and I, Jordan, I'm, am very, very excited for the 100th episode of this show. I, you know, I don't recall 100%, but I may have been on all of the episodes. I, I mean, that, I, that can't be true. You think so? Well, yes, probably, because I, I was on This Day in History on every single one of them. Uh, well, okay. That doesn't count. I mean, I was in a lot of the, the old stuff, too. No, no, but still, I think I might have been on... I, I don't recall missing an episode. I mean, I suppose I might have. Well, what about when you were in jail? Oh, um... Okay, yes, I did, uh... Yes, I did miss some when I was in jail, yes. Right, so none of us have been on... But I was still on this day in history, even then. <laughs> right, but that, I'm saying I don't think that counts. It doesn't count. If if I was not... If it didn't count me, then it doesn't count you. What doesn't count? How did... What, what did you... You were only on Epic Echoes. You were... And you weren't... Well, you were on most episodes of Epic Echoes, but we didn't have Epic Echoes on every show. Still, I was on a lot of episodes. I think I was on the most episodes than anybody. Well, I think I was on the most episodes of anyone. I, I doubt that that's true. And obviously, our former co-host, uh, Frank Allen, was probably not on the most because he quit the show once before and now he's um he's still missing we don't know where he is so i doubt that he was on the most episodes but i i mean it might have been i think it was probably me guys don't you think yeah no, i did no. well all right fine doesn't matter it doesn't matter who was on the most episodes we have like i said we have so much stuff on this special episode you've probably again you've probably been wondering why has it taken so long for the hundredth episode to come out well the answer is because i've been putting together some very super secret super special stuff for this episode. And if you are fans of the 100 episodes before this, so you said I mean 99, I mean 99 the, episodes before this. You said this was not, this was 101. No, that's not, I didn't, I didn't, that's not what I meant. I was just, I misspoke. If you were a fan of the 99 episodes before this, and especially the earlier 60 or 70 of them, then I think you will be surprised and have a special treat. Um, so I'm not going to spoil that, though, because in addition to the special s- surprise stuff, we also have an awful lot of stuff that you probably are expecting, like more episodes of all of the shows that you know and love that have been the recent shows, you know, things like Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, things like Slam Jackson Adventurous, things like uh, Robot Zombie Hunters Ride Again, all of these things and more and even more than more. So, um, before we get to the actual shows, we have a couple of special things. Uh, first of all, we have an email from Mr. Charles Berman. Charles, as you will recall, uh, is the one who sends us these shows from the people who make them in Binghamton. Um, he has this to say. Hey, Jordan, here's some more radio serials for you. I got another chance to sneak some computer access. Hope you enjoy them, but mainly I want to congratulate you on 100 episodes. That's a hell of a lot of episodes. And here's to 100 more. I've enjoyed listening to the episodes and contributing to them when given the opportunity hugely over the years, two or three of them, since it started. Too bad Frank can't be around to celebrate with you. You, Rory, and Scape have all done enormous amounts over the years, and Frank definitely talked a whole lot. You should all become fabulously rich when the market machine comes in, which I do hope is soon, but I'm pretty much finding food and shelter okay for the time being. Anyway, don't want to be on too long. I just hope everyone enjoys the cereals this week. By the way, are you the one that sent me the help? I'm desperate and on the run. Save my life. Please note, I've been asking everyone I know and no luck. Charles. Huh. Well, um, 
let me start with the, the last thing you mentioned. No, I didn't send you a help, I'm desperate and on the run uh, note. Rory, did you? Well, no, I'm not desperate or on the run, so no. I've been here with you. I mean, not all the time, but right now and periodically when we've been getting together to, you know, get things done for this. Right, so I know, okay, I didn't think it would be you. Scape, is it pointless to even ask? Dad, I can't even write a note. I would say, Dad, can you write me a note that says, help, I'm desperate and on the run, please? I don't remember you doing that, though. That's what I'm saying. I didn't do it. Okay, so it was none of us, um, Charles. I don't know. I and mean, then we could skip the part about the market machine, but then we'll go back to the Frank. You, no, we, Jordan, why are we skipping the part about the market machine? Go back to that. No, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. But he talks about Frank, No, but who, people want to know what's happening with the market machine. Please just tell us what's going no, on. No, I just... I, why do we have to talk about this? Like I said, this is a happy episode. We're supposed to be celebrating. I don't want to talk about crappy stuff. So you admit your market machine is crappy. No, that's no. I'm not saying my machine is crappy. I'm saying it's a crap situation. You made a crap machine? No, I didn't make a... Scape. What? I didn't make a crap machine. I made a... We're in the process of... All right. Look, fine. Fine. Thank you. Yes, tell us, please. I'm, go I'm going to. I'm going to. Um, Charles, thank you for writing in. Thank you for all the nice stuff you said. I'm kind of pissed at you, to be honest with you. You're pissed at Charles? Yes, because he keeps writing in with these letters. I, well, I like that you write in letters. Don't stop writing in letters, and obviously don't stop sending me the serials. But you, he keeps sending in these things that are like, what about this for the market machine? I don't understand how this is going to work. Raising all these questions. It's a simple concept, and you're making people ask questions. So you don't have answers to these questions is the problem. No, that, that's no. the problem is not that I don't have answers. The problem is that the questions are being asked. It's a simple thing. It's a machine that looks at stuff and it says what they're worth. That's, uh, that's all it is. If everybody just accepts that and goes, done. That's all it is. It looks at things, it says what they're worth. That's all you need to know. Why do you need to have all these, oh, can I charge more? Can I charge less? What does it do if, if you give a coupon and there's a, like, why is all these questions? Just, it's a, st and and frankly, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe people would be asking these questions on their own, Charles. I don't know. But all I know is I get the questions first from you and then I get to the UN the next day and the people are going, oh, what about this? What about this? You know, we're, we just are programming this thing. It looks at things. It says what they're worth. It's so simple. It's so easy. Why does all this stuff have to be complicated? Why can't everything just go smoothly? We're still working on the formula now because they, they're like, oh, you got to have to account for this. You got to have it account for this. Yeah. Well, economics is complicated. I think you should have to account for all these things. No, but that's, it's, that's the point. The point is to make it not complicated. The point is, why don't we take the complication out of it? It should be elegant. It should be simple. Here's what this is worth. That's how much you're going to charge for it. Done. Done. Well, then what if no one wants it? Then, this is a question. You have more questions. If nobody wants it, if only one person wants it, then they have to pay a lot for it. But that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but look. Okay, if somebody wants to buy this glass, they're like, uh, you know, then they, they want to buy this glass. Right. So then they do. And the price that they pay is determined by how much the machine thinks it's going to sell divided into how much is worth to make back the original investment. So then the machine says, this is how much it's worth. So if the machine thinks you're going to sell one million of them, they're all going to cost like one cent. Well, no, not one cent. I mean, it'll cost, you know, because the more you make, the more they cost in the other sense, you know, because there's more glass and things like that. So they, but they'll cost a certain amount, you know, a low amount. And if they're going to only sell 10, they're going to cost a huge amount. Yes, but okay. But that's not the point. The point is to eliminate greed, to eliminate charlatanriness, like things like that. The point is to, to stop people from taking advantage of each other and to stop people from... Look, this is... We had a whole episode about this. Go back and listen to that one again. It makes perfect sense. But if it made perfect sense, I didn't think you'd be having so many problems. Then people should stop asking questions. People... Oh, just nobody trusts me. Nobody trusts me. I, I'm telling you I know what's best for everyone and nobody trusts me for some reason.
And this confuses you. Yes, this confuses because clearly I know what's best. Clear, I mean, you show me something, I'll tell you if it's right or wrong. You show me, you know, I, I mean, I, it's very clear to me what is right and what is wrong on pretty much all things. I don't understand how this is an issue for everyone else, but apparently it is. And so I'm saying I'm the best person to make the market machine because I can look at things and go, this practice is right, this practice is wrong. This is how the market machine should react to these things. These things are all fine. And yet now, because of all these questions, the UN is going, oh, I don't know. You know, just if you guys would all just shut up, then I would be. In, we, I would be done by now. We were supposed to have this in effect by the first. It's now the freaking, what is it? Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. This is ridiculous. It should be in effect by now. Or people are just realizing that it should never be in effect. And as Wally Rassman said, and as Patsy Kennedy said, it's not a good idea and people should abandon it. Yeah, and they're another group that I'm mad at because I gave them my show thinking these are two pros who are, you know, going to help me out because they're friends of mine. And they go on and they badmouth my idea and my, you know, my real work on my own show. That's ridiculous. But they were right about the market machine. They weren't right! Okay, oh, you people. Scape, at least you you trust me, right? You know that I know what's best, right? Well, uh, Dad, do you think it is best to give me moist food? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, that's why I do it. No, I mean, do you think it is best to give me moist food right now? Well, no, not right now. We're in the middle of a podcast. Well, I don't think you know what's best, Dad! But I do... Scape... I know what's best better than you know what's best. That's the whole point. You you have had moist food on the podcast before. It doesn't go well. You end up sitting there going, nom, 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 the whole time, and it sounds ridiculous. Well, I don't care how it sounds, Dad. It tastes amazing. Well, sure, but my point is that's not what's best. What's best would be for us to record the podcast, finish the podcast, and then after the podcast is over, then we can talk about giving you moist food. That's not best. That is what That is best for all involved, because again, you think what's best is what's best for you. This is the same thing with the market machine. People who think the market machine is bad are probably just want to charge a lot of money for something that it's not worth that much, like Mr. Roy Sinjin here with his extra history. No, no, extra history is invaluable. No, it is very valuable, and my market machine will value it for what it's worth. Exactly. And no more, no less. That's not, I don't like that idea. As I, as I said, a charlatan is against it because I, it's against charlatanry. I take very much offense to you saying that. Well, you would, and that's kind of the point. The point is for this thing to solve problems, not cause them, and yet everybody is causing problems and throwing problems up around it. We've got the machine physically built, okay? Okay? It's just a matter of getting the programming in place. I don't understand why everybody is, you know, getting... I don't understand it. Well, we don't understand you, so there you are. Well, it's... I'm... <sighs> I'm easy to understand. So anyway, all of that. Um, so uh, what, what else? Was there anything else in Charles's letter? Episodes. Thank you for the nice things. And I don't, yeah, I don't know where Frank is. And no, I don't know who said help there on the run. I don't know. Okay. Um, so how long have we been going? Has it been going for a while? Yeah, we've, we, we, we've got stuff to talk about after the shows too. So let's get into it. We're going to, we're going to start out. It's been an awfully long time since the last episode, as you know, therefore we have quite a few episodes of this day in history, uh, since the last show. So, we're going to have those, we're going to have all the new shows from Charles, and we're going to have our four new bonus things that I'm not going to tell you about until they're done. So let's get right into them, starting with a This Day in History for a few weeks back. Right, Rory? Right. Hopefully everyone will enjoy. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On January 17, 1949, the first Volkswagen Beetle in the U.S. arrived from Germany. This little Volkswagen, People's Car, was a sturdy vehicle designed by Ferdinand Porsche at the request of Adolf Hitler. Mein Führer, I have brought you your Bratwurst. Hmm, I do not have time, unfortunately, to eat this before driving across the Atlantic to unveil the Volkswagen Beetle. I will have to eat it in the car! Mein Führer, do not forget your sauerkraut and beer! Wiener Schnitzel! Thank Thank you very much. I will also take one of your Wiener Schnitzel. Uh, now, away! Mmm, 
This food is delicious. Oh no, the Atlantic Ocean! Splash! Blub, blub. If only I'd seen the ocean and over the Wiener Schnitzel and sauerkraut, I could have conquered Europe and taken killed. on France. Oh no, I have killed my Führer with my bratwurst. Yes, it's true. Adolf Hitler did die because he was driving while eating and was driving into the ocean. Fortunately, the car kept going all the way across and did reach America on this day in history on WHRW Binghamton. But wait 100 minutes. My name is Rory Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cass and Wax. And as exciting as it was to hear about Hitler's death, I'm sure you're more interested in hearing about the 100th time Hitler died. Yes, that's right. Hitler was brought back to life shortly thereafter by evil Nazi scientists. They used ancient UFO technology that they had discovered to attach the life generator to Hitler's life generation points and resurrect him. The problem, of course, being that Hitler was a notorious moron and every time you brought him back to life, he got stupider and stupider. Over the course of the rest of World War II, Hitler died on a very regular basis. And in fact, the 100th time that Hitler died was yet again from driving while eating. This time, he had just bought a banana cream pie and thought, I must enjoy this now while I am driving. So he took the entire pie, just splattered it right into his face. Couldn't see a thing because the banana cream was all over his eyes, you know, and all that sort of thing. And in fact, drove straight through the secret Nazi teleportation shrine that took them directly to Hiroshima. And unfortunately, it was on the day that Hiroshima was destroyed. So Hitler died yet again. But it just goes to show that you should not eat while driving. It is a very dangerous thing to do. You could get in a car accident and die twice, possibly even hundreds of times. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Slam Jackson! Adventurist! By Michael Weishner. Episode 9, Fan the Flames. Our story opens again with our hardened hero, Slam Jackson, private investigator and famed adventurist. What? Returning to his office after our particularly daunting day of defeating dastardly do-batters. All the way down the list from Alpha Dog Fido to Zebra Steve, a proverbial zoo was to be had at the local pet store earlier this afternoon. He returns to his office with a tired sigh of triumph. But just as he enters... Oh, God. My everything. Uh, what the... Look, everybody! It's Slam Jackson! Ba-da! Adventurist! Yeah! Slam Jackson, indeed, feeble teensters. The main character surveys the scene expeditiously. Dozens upon dozens of eager teenagers, all clad in brightly colored t-shirts with his namesake upon them, cheer at his entrance, crammed in so tightly to his office that Slam's ego is forcibly ejected from the room, leaving him off balance for their cacophony of personal questions. What's it like being an adventurist? Are you single? How can you handle being in the same room with you all the time? Who is your most fiendish nemesis? You autographed my birthmark. How did you defeat General Fisticuffs with only a ballpoint pen? You're so handsome. Why can't I have your baby? Hey, everybody, just shut up for one freaking minute. Look, I've had a long day. My patience is out to lunch. What in the hell are you doing here? Okay, okay, everybody, just like we rehearsed, this is going to be so great. Okay, ready? One... Two, three. Is we Slam Jackson the fan base? The what? The fan base, Mr. Jackson. We're the highest ranking members of the one and only Facebook official Slam Jackson fan club, the fan base. 
I can't believe we're actually in the same room with you. Brimming with eager teenager energy, the fan base descends upon him like a plague of sexy locusts. It is barely within Slam's power to call them back to reality and away from his sculpted body. Ah, <sighs> okay, okay. I know who you are now. Relax. Fine. What do you all want? Your undying affection. Autograph pamphlet. First-hand adventurist accounts. Your preferred brand of paper towel. Oh, ah, guys, calm down. Okay, look. As glad as I am to have such a uh, loyal fan base, I really need to finish a lot of paperwork before I can go home. So if you could all, you know, leave now, post haste. But but. Um, Mr. Jackson, we've come such a long way. I mean, Missy here drove all the way from Saskatchewan, and James spent all his money flying up from Wanamucca. Heck, I personally walked halfway from the halls of Montezuma to be in this gorgeously Frank Shui office. And before you kick us out, with your incredible strength, before that, we want to have some questions answered. Yeah! yeah! All right, all right, fine. We'll go in order. You, over there, you had a question. Oh, yeah. How did you defeat General Fisticuffs with only a ballpoint pen? Oh, that that was simple. You can defeat anybody when their ballpoint pen doubles as their keys to their apartment. Oh, oh, me next. Okay, go for it, kiddo. Ah, he called me kiddo! Ah! Okay, what's your favorite food? Fajitas. It's a hands-on meal. It keeps the adventure going. I knew it. Told you so. He is so dreamy. Mr. Jackson? Yes? What thrilling adventures did you just come from? Ah, <laughs> uh, that. Ah, uh, well, I was out investigating near the National Bank. Something about a supposed robbery. But the second I get there, who should show up but Kickman? Kickman? Who's he? Kickman? Oh, Kickman has the evil power to kick anything. That sounds dumb. The length of a football field. Whoa. Yeah, and guess where he's standing? Next to the bank? And he's ready to kick the whole thing into the river. No way! Yes way! Melting like desperate, love-starved chocolate into the handsome hands of history's healthiest harbinger of heroism, our protagonist recounts the story of his recent defeat of Kickman, every last excruciating detail setting the faces of his teenage audience into a frenzy of adoration and satisfied glee. We return to his well-completed narrative. Right into the nutsack. Oh! How did you ever work to angles? That trajectory is insane! Well, once the kneecaps are removed, really any angle is possible. Making sure he doesn't notice, now that's hard. Amazing. All right, are there any other questions? Uh, over here! Yes, you. Also, last one, make it count. Why don't you have a girlfriend? Well, I just don't. But surely you have a good reason, right? I mean, to protect them from the evils that might occur if they were captured? Well, yeah, that is a good reason. But is it the main one? Thinking at speeds that would make Deep Blue curse in binary, our savior of the stupid uses one of his uncountable secret skills to quickly throw his voice into the hallway behind them! Look everybody, I just found the Slam Jackson fan fiction. It's got sultry mysterious in it! No way! I want to read it. That's just what I came for! Everybody out! And with that, our hero's office is hastily and hurriedly vacated en masse by his swooning wannabe children. Reacting with a massive dexterity check modifier, his hardened hands slam the door shut firmly, the lock of his door doing its duty dutifully as he swiftly scoops up that pesty paperwork he persists to potentially peruse, which was previously and paradoxically petitioned post-haste by the pubescent public, and darts over to his office window, throwing open the panes of glass to the bustling city outside. Just one day of peace. That's all I want. Is that too much to ask for? 
Is that too much for our hero to ask for? Will he escape from his foaming fans without provocation? Why doesn't our famed adventurist have a girlfriend of his own? Will the fan base end up writing the fan fiction they inevitably won't find? Double check those smoke detector batteries so your house doesn't burn down with all the fiery action packed into the next episode of Slam Jackson! Adventurist! In that episode of Slam Jackson Adventurist, the narrator was Mickey Weishner, Slam Jackson was Jack Kunrat, Eagle Leader was Pete Bowers, the fanboys were Daniel Schwartz, Jordan Randall, and Patrick McGuire, and the fangirls were Becca Dinhofer, Angela Tymon, and Cheryl Casey. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Roy Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. On January 24th, 1848, a millwright named James Marshall discovers gold along the banks of Sutter's Creek in California, forever changing the course of history in the American West. Well, Warren, let's walk down the sidewalk, shall we? We'll have a pleasant stroll. What do you say? I say good show. <laughs> let's go. la di da di da di da Oof! I seem to have tripped on something. What's that? This man, he's left something golden and shiny all in front of his house. I've tripped and broken my leg. Ah! You there, stop touching my gold! I can't! I can't walk! Are you, sir? I'm a loyal, have you? No, I'll sue your pants off. Well, that's good, because I'm rich! Do you, do you know you broke the law? You're supposed to shovel the front of your block every day? I did! I shoveled You're it full of shovel- gold! You shoveled it full of gold? What? You're supposed to make sure that the sidewalk is clear of obstacles, including precious metals that the general public would be happy to own! Who cares? I'm rich! I do what I want! Of course, back at that time in history, the fine for having your sidewalk obstructed was one billion trillion squigillion dollars. So he lost all of his gold. The fine may be cheaper now, but you should still make sure that your sidewalk is clear. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't throw your gold out yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And I'd be willing to bet that you're interested in hearing about the 100th time that that one billion trillion squigillion dollar fine was levied. The year was 1853. The place, Bangor, Maine, where Mr. Josh Sipowitz had not shoveled his driveway clear of snow as he was supposed to do. The police came along and said, All right, all right, Mr. Sipowitz, let me tell you something. For some reason, they were British. I don't know why. But the point is, they said to him the thing they had to tell him was that he owed them a fine. The fine was, of course, one billion trillion squigillion dollars. He said, I don't have that much money. They said, well, we've got it from 99 other people who said they didn't have that much money, and we found that every time we investigated them, we found that if we sold off all their things, we could get that entire billion trillion squigillion dollars. So now, you should have shoveled your sidewalk. You didn't. You owe us one billion trillion squigillion dollars. And they took everything he owned into custody. It was sort of a fascist regime in America at that time. But they sold everything he owned, but they did get the money. They got their one billion trillion squigillion dollars. And when it was collected into the American treasury, the American government said, you know, now that we've gotten 100 times 1 billion trillion squigillion dollars, which is probably approximately 100 billion trillion squigillion dollars, I think, somewhere around there, we have all the money we will ever need. I don't think the country will ever have any problems with debt ever, you know? I I just can't imagine how we possibly could. Everything we can even imagine to possibly do in hundreds of years is completely and fully funded, so, you know, let's just stop levying that fine. And someone said, no, 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 because then people will forget that they're supposed to shovel their lawns. And they said, right, let's make the fine very low then, relatively speaking. I mean, we do still want there to be a fine because people really should shovel their sidewalks so people don't slip. You know, it's very important. But it just needs to be a punitive measure now, not a, a money-making measure as it had been up to this point. And that was when everything changed for America. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast in Wax. Mm, you weren't kidding, baby. This is a beautiful place. 
Makes Parlor Town look like a cesspool. <laughs> no, sweetie. Parlor Town looked like a cesspool because of all the people using its streets as toilets. The fact that this isn't under paradise is pure coincidence. If you say so, Macy. Either way, I could get used to this. Well, don't. We don't have enough money to stay for very long. Besides, if we're laying low, a gorgeous city with a huge tourist industry is probably not our best bet. Why not? We can blend in with the crowd. Plus, we're going to need to get jobs. Have you given any more thought to what you're going to do? We can't exactly open a Decker and Hayes European branch when we're still wanted for murder, conspiracy, and who knows what else. I know that, baby. Relax. I'm sure we'll figure something out. I'm sure we will, Stella. We'll settle down in a little town, barely enough people to fill a bus, and we'll get a little cottage for the two of us. Maybe buy a kitten. Someplace far away from crime, mysteries, far away from the internet, even. And what would we do there, hmm? Open a vineyard? Make cheese? I'm a city girl, Macy. You know that. You'll get used to it. The fake IDs already got us are top-notch. But even so, it's far less likely they'll be put to the test in a tiny village. A city like this... A city like this is a beautiful place to unwind after killing a public official. We're here now, Mace. Can we just relax and enjoy it? <sighs> You're right. We can take a few days. Thank you. I'll tell you what. This place really lives up to its name. Are you ever going to get tired of that joke? Doubt it. It's niece, Stella. Niece. Like niece and nephew. Oh, you mean like... Come here and sit on Auntie Stella's lap, little girl, and I'll tell you a story before I take you to bed. Stella, behave! I can't help it. You bring me out to a beautiful beach, you put on that sweet little number, and not to mention all the... Oh, sweet Jesus, absolutely gorgeous topless ladies. Bonjour. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Ça va? Ça va bien. C'est magnifique. See, you're picking up the language. When it's important. How do you say menage a trois in French? Ha ha. How about, my legs may not work, but my tongue I'm is... I'm not teaching you that. And for someone so thrilled with the clothing options on the beach, you're certainly wearing a lot of layers. I'm not taking my shirt off in public, Mace. What do you think I am, some kind some of... Some kind of what? I thought they were, oh sweet Jesus, absolutely gorgeous. If only Miss Magnifique could hear you now. You know what I mean. I'm not that kind of girl. This is France, Stella. You can't judge people based on the same standards as you did back home. It's perfectly acceptable for women to be topless on the beach here. Oh, I'm accepting it. I accept it wholeheartedly. Good. Then I'm just gonna... Whoa, girl. No, you don't. It's not like it would be the first time, Stella. I've been here before, remember? That's all well and good. But there, mine now. I'm not gonna be offering anyone freebies. It's just... What was that? It came from down there. Well, come on. Wheel me over there. I'm trying. It's not easy on this sand. S'il vous plaît, attendez les policiers là-bas. Jean, disperse les clients, il faut garder libre la nage. Si tu as des problèmes, tu peux offrir des poissons gratuits au bar. Qu'est-ce qui se passe, monsieur Pardon, mademoiselle, il faut garder libre la nage. Si vous pourriez rentrer dans l'hôtel... What's he saying He wants us to go inside. Listen, buddy, if there's a problem, we can help. And if that's what I think it is, you're going to need it. I'm sorry. Who are you? I'm... I'm Mandy Harper. And I'm Sasha Dickinson. Uh, Miss Harper, uh, Miss Dickinson, I am very pleased you chose to stay with us, but I have to ask you to let the let police... Let me see if I got this right. The young lady you just sent away found that body buried in the sand. Looks like a male, approximately 40, 45 years old. Extrapolating from what we can see from here, maybe 6 foot 2, 225 pounds. Sounds about right, but they're metric here. 1.9 meters, 100 kilograms. 
kilograms. Looks like he was stabbed five, maybe six times in the chest. By someone about a foot shorter than him. Most likely a woman, given how shallow the first couple of blows looked. Looks like she got lucky with the last one, but it wasn't premeditated for sure. No, definitely not. Crime of passion. That's one possibility. Caught in the act, more likely. Botched robbery, good thought. You know the victim? We, oui, uh, of course. He was a hotel detective. What do you think, Mace? Two birds, one stone. They do have wireless. But you're going to need to make the bar wheelchair accessible. Pardon? Never mind. Harper and Dickinson, at your service. I believe you have an opening we'd like very much to fill. And as the sun began to move slowly, ever so slowly, back towards North America and the filthy streets of Town, New Jersey, Stella Decker and Macy Hayes, Mandy Harper and Sasha Dickinson, were finding they didn't mind the light. Not at all. Decker and Hayes, by Jordan D. White. Starring Angela Tymon as Stella Decker. Lynn Nelson as Macy Hayes. Featuring Cheryl Casey, Derek McNish, and Daniel Schwartz as the narrator. The End. Diner, created by Angela Tymon. Written by Angela Tymon, Pete Bowers, Charles Berman, and Daniel Schwartz. Episode 3, When Doves Cry. Yes, the diner was turning out to be quite the handful. Between my incompetent boss, my incompetent co-workers, and my own incompetence, things were pretty rough. But the roughness was only the beginning, like the dull edge of a square of sandpaper. For the next time I worked, there was... Chowder. Sweet Jesus, what is that? Oh, Jen, that's right, you're new. This is the boss's secret seafood chowder. What's the secret? The chowder. It's better nobody knows it's here. They might order it otherwise. Oh, hey, Mike, you're back. How's your throat? Barely punched at all. I even swallowed this morning. That's what she said. No, that's what he said. Same principle, saying things. So how did your court date go? Best date I've had in a while. What? Melissa was suing you for sexual harassment. Was. She'd never seen me in my court suit before. You have a court suit? Yeah. You wouldn't believe the shit it gets me out of. Anyway, she gets one look and we end up doing it in the janitor's closet. No fucking way. Every fucking way. And the best part, she even drops the charges. And my pants. You're disgusting. You're just mad because you want it. Oh, sure, Mike. That is the reason. I am just mad because I want it so very, very much, and you won't give it to me. Just as I thought. Oh, hey Cliff, the usual? Correct! You may pass! What was that about? Cliff? Health code inspector. Working here as a side gig. Wow. But yeah, so we're dating now. Are you really dating, or are you just having sex in the same place? Oh no, we're doing it all sorts of places. Good thing, too. That janitor would get real pissed. It's Daryl. Quick, to the back. What? Do we warn her? She fell behind! Keep to the code! 
Wonder what that's about. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you today? Were you aware that in February 1965, Gomer Pyle was shifted from Friday at 7 to Thursday at 6, resulting in a net loss of 20,600 viewers a week on average? Why no? No, I didn't. Can't say I did. Were you aware that my mother, the car, gained 315,000 viewers over the second month of its first season? Can I get you anything? What? Why don't people avail themselves of this information? Nobody is aware! Is that a no? There are 30 servings of Tabasco sauce in a 5 fluid ounce bottle. So yes? Are you aware of the sandwich that Vic Tabak made in the 38th episode of Alice? Oh, you want that? Yes, please. So, you like Alice? Remember when Vera had that date? I have never seen that show. I thought you liked old TV shows. I do not own a television. Okay. One sandwich. Thank you. That'll be four twenty-five. Here is four dollars and twenty-five cents. Thanks. Have a have a nice day. You as well. Uh, oh my god, what did you do to Daryl? What do you mean? Normally he ends up screaming, why? Why are you not aware? None of you are aware. He seems nice. What, nice? Yeah, we talked. Wow. It's as the prophecy foretold. What prophecy? Nah, nothing. I guess Mike and Carter are in the panic room, so I'm going to go get them out. Here, uh, try the chowder. Do I have to? It's not that bad. You'll get to like it. I'm a vegetarian. It's just seafood. Seafood is meat. Really? <laughs> wow, the Pope was way off. Yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom. All right. Uh, I'll go get Carter and Mike out of the panic room. God, what did I eat? You know, like a bag, but for your hands. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. Hey, Lexi. Yeah? Why do we even call you that anyway? Well, I used to go by Sexy Lexi, but then I shortened it to make it shorter. Oh. Well, anyway, Lexi, did you see the picture of you Amber put up on Facebook? No. Which picture? (coughs) Oh, well, let's talk about it later. No, I want to know. Tell me. Okay, it's, it's a picture from that place we used to work. Giovanni's? No, no, the other place. What other place? You know, the owl place. Birds? Where are there birds? I think she means hooters. Oh. Let's get out of here, Lexi. Guess this place isn't for the birds. Did you tell a joke in there? Just a pun. Barely counts. Okay. Sorry I missed it. So, I met Matt the other day. Oh, yeah? He called her Jan. Wow. He must like her. No kidding. Steve, good to see you. I see you've met Jan. I, um, I hired her, Matt. Oh, Ven. How we joke together. Where's the new new girl? Uh, Bernadette? She has a name? We told her to be in by 10, and I think she went camping. That makes no sense. I will ignore it. I had to make myself a sandwich. 
here, at the deli counter, with this meat, and this cheese, and this meat again, and this bread, from the counter, for my sandwich, which I make. Well, I've got to run, somewhere else, that isn't here. Be a pal and clean this up, Steve. Won't you? Of course you will. What a mess. There's sub-sauce on the ceiling. Again? How does he do that? I wish he'd taken some of the chowder. It's hard to keep a secret that smells like that. And you just let him talk to you that way? I fell down the stairs! Awkward. So how'd the two of you end up working together anyway? Well, it's kind of a long story. In the ancient days, before the age of the great city, there was a tribe of people who were mightier than the hills themselves. These hill people wandered the realm, causing chaos and destruction wherever their feet strode. And then came London! The smells, the sounds, the teeth, and her majesty bade me come. We danced until the dawn blushed the sky with her caress. By the next day, the lamissary of the Diamond Path took me in. The abbot was said to be the reincarnation of the thousand-handed lord looking down. We got picked and they called us Red Rover. Red Rover, let Steve come over. And I ran with a bull's fury and an octopus's grace into the sunset, never to be seen again. And there's nothing I can say to top that. In that episode of The Diner, old Jen was Julia Kelly, Jen was Angela Tymon, Carter was Jack Coonrat, Mike was George Randall, the troll and Daryl were Charles Berman, Steve Andrews' businessman was Pete Bowers, JN was Cat McDonald, Lexi was Aaron Morrissey, and Matthew Nichols' entrepreneur was Daniel Schwartz. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. On January 31st, 1865, the House of Representatives passes the 13th Amendment, abolishing slavery in the U.S. It read, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Let's listen. All right, field workers, I've got some important information for you that's just been ratified by Congress. Um, according to this document, you all have to work for me forever for free. Sorry, I know you expect the outcome to be different at the end of the war, but uh, this is how it's happened, so take my word for it. I'm your boss. That doesn't seem very accurate. Maybe we should go to our steam-driven computer and try and confirm the results on the internet. No. No, you should not. In fact, I'm going to have to confiscate all computers, please. Okay, here's mine. Why would you have any reason not to trust him? He sounds like he has a perfectly honest face. Here, see? It's honest. Hmm, it is pretty honest. I see no reason not to turn over my steam-driven computer to you and work until I die. Come, Winnie. Let us continue being slaves. Forever. Hey, hey, no talking during slave work. And that was very, very sad and unfortunate because that was, as I proved to you earlier, a total lie. Make sure that for your own part, you always check the sources of your information and don't believe everything you hear, even on This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't cry 100 tears yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And the sad, sad truth is that that hideous plantation continued its lying ways for 100 years until 1965 when enforcers of the Civil Rights Act came around and noticed that they were still owning slaves on this plantation and said, we will put a stop to this. And they did put a stop to that. And in fact, the government decided that even though there was a ban on cruel and unusual punishment in the Constitution, for this one case, they would allow some slightly nastier than usual and a little not on the 
normal side punishment to occur, and they dug up the bodies of the slave-owning plantation owners, and using Nazi reincarnation technology, they brought all the dead slave owners back to life, cloned them all, using the cloning technology that they had developed with their incredible surplus of money that they'd gotten from collecting sidewalk shoveling fees, and created a slightly unfair of them white slave race that would constantly be working for the black people that they had enslaved for that extra hundred years. Five years later, they decided that really wasn't nice either, so they just shot all the people that they'd brought back to life. But I think this history lesson that I've just given you does teach you one important thing, which is that you should always check the source of your information. If I tell you something is true, that doesn't mean you have to believe me. You could do your own research and find out if what I just told you is true. Now, you won't be able to check in another world, but you can check in this world where you will find that it is not true, but trust me, in another world, it's true. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. So, let me see if I've got this straight. Lord Oberon said you were no longer banished from the realm of fairy, but you chose not to go back yet, and that was cool by him. Aye, at that point in time he did declare, it was my choice to stay here or go there. Right, I got that piece, Boston, but then you did go home because you thought Binary Girl was cheating on you, and then when we came to get you and let you know she wasn't cheating on you, that it was all just a trick Suspiria pulled on you, and you decided you want to come back with us, all of a sudden you weren't allowed to leave? And now because you did leave, you're banished again? Aye, Jack. All this assuredly is true. Mayhap Suspiria had me beguiled. But what is that to a king of all the Fae? Lord Oberon cares not for that deceit. He cares when his subjects wander away. When absent, my good lord needed me not. But once arrived, this fact my liege forgot. And the fact that the woman you love is here means nothing. Love doesn't enter into it at all. I never spoke to him of my feelings. What dost thou take me for, some kind of fool? You didn't tell him, but... Surely he would have understood Nay, that- Nay, Jack, he would not understand at all. For while banishment may now be my curse, were I to tell my liege of my true love, believe you me, my fate would be far worse. Were fairy to ever a mortal wed, the punishment would be their very head. Well, there's no danger of that, then. It's not legal for fairies to marry here. Joke not about my love, you bouncing fool. All right, all right, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by then it. Then hold your tongue regarding subjects which you know nothing about, lest you offend. Well, I wouldn't say I know nothing about it. I actually think I... Come in, Guard Tower. Sam Bumblebee, what news hast thou for us? Just wanted to let you know the prisoner transfer is complete. Suspiria is secure in the powerhouse, power dampers on. She's not going to be tricking anyone anytime soon. And you're sure you really put the dampener on? It wasn't just one of her illusions. Oh, Jack! Hi there! I didn't know you were on guard duty today. Oh, um, yeah. But about Suspiria. Of course we made sure, silly. Binary girl, both triple check. What's that? Barbara is with you at present? We're in public, sweetie. You have nothing to worry about. But Jack, it must be hard being back on guard duty after so long off the roster. No, not really. Oh, you can't fool me. Sitting cooped up in those chairs can make you so tense. I can come up and massage away that tension in no time. That's really not necessary. I insist. It's no trouble at all. I've been meaning to get to know you better now that you're back on the guard. Thanks, but I'm not really in the mood for a massage. Don't be a fool. It is no mere massage. Please do come by, Fabby. If Jack wants not, then I'll... We can all go together. I really don't think... How dare you, Jack? Here I welcome you back into the guard like a friend, and you stab me in the back, trying to put your moves on my girlfriend. No, Don't bother to deny it. I saw the radio waves carrying our filthy discussion flying past my lab. Your innuendo is practically pooling in the troughs of the wavelengths. No, Dr. Fest, you don't understand. I'm... you leave Jack alone. You have no right to 
tell me what I can and can't do. You don't own me. But Susie, with everything that's happened between us, I thought it was understood that the two of us would begin a mutually monogamous relationship, forsaking the dalliances of the past in favor of the more deep and intimate connections, fostered through exclusive one-on-one interactions. That's easy for you to say. You don't have any other relationships, but I never agreed to any such thing. What Jack and I do together is between he and I and has nothing to do with my relationship with you. But no, you think we're going steady just because you haven't been with a girl I think we should discuss this in private. This isn't over, Jack. No, Doctor, I'm not- It's too late, Jack. Yon Doctor Fast is gone. Tis for the best. He seemed quite mad at you. Indeed, he seems likely to hold a grudge. Sure, that is so unfair! I didn't do anything. I have no interest whatsoever in sleeping with Bumblebee. Because of her rotund appearance, no? I too shared that opinion at first blush, but trust me, Jack, her skills at pleasure No, are... it's not because of her appearance. I just... I'm just not interested. Unless young women interest you not, I can't see how... Oh! Oh, look there! Screen three! What is it? An emergency? Brain frame, raise up the sound on the third screen. Oh, God, this not him. This is exactly the sort of behavior I've come to expect from the guard. They act as they please and leave the American citizens to deal with the consequences. First, their strike last year, and now we find out the team nearly broke up recently, having splintered apart from within. That would leave people completely unprotected from the threats the guard typically protects them from. But the guard didn't break up. They managed to pull together to bring Suspiria to justice. This time. But what about next time? What happens the next time the all two human personalities of these gods among men get in the way of doing what's right. I'll tell you what, the American people are going to be left out in the cold. Oh, come on! The next of time course we're just human, but we know what's charging important. through a city, maybe they're too busy squabbling over their budgets or their personal troubles to help people. No, see, no, this is exactly what I'm talking about. That would never happen. How quickly you forget. It did happen. When in the name of fairness, we did strike. No, that's not true. The guard would never have just sat there while innocent people were hurt. Even if I hadn't broken the strike, someone would have. Heck, you would have. Perhaps I would with Barbara on the line. I know you would. The fact is that, yes, I do hold the members of the Earth Guard to a higher standard than I would your average citizen, because people with their abilities have the potential to do much more damage than your average citizen. Who knows what havoc they could cause? Meanwhile, yet another former member of the team seems to be rejoining the Guard after a leave of absence. Oh, this should be my... I'm calling to formally announce that I, Mr. Fahrenheit, will be officially rejoining the Earth Guard. I'll be resuming all butt-taking duties I had previously been conducting, effective immediately. Will you also return to functioning as the Guard's press secretary? I tremble at the mere uh, suggestion no. of... No, I won't. Actually, one of the terms of my return to the team is that I have to abstain from all press conferences, interviews, public appearances, etc. You mean, like this one? Like... No, no, because I'm not on the guard yet. This one doesn't count, because I'm not officially, officially back on the team yet. Effective tomorrow. But you just said... Interrupt your regular programming with this breaking news, what seems to be a rift in the very fabric of reality itself, a hole in space, and perhaps even time itself, has opened up in the middle of Times Square in New York City. Even more disturbingly, the supervillainous Suspiria seems to have emerged what? from it. That's impossible! Attention, Earth Guard, we've got an emergency in the middle of Times Square. Suspiria's back again, apparently not as secured in transfer as we thought. It's not Suspiria. She's a doppelganger from an alternate reality calls herself phenomenal. Voodoo lady! Aren't you dead? I was, yes. But we can talk about that later. I'll prime the horse. Um, you got it. See you back on the job, guys. Check out!
Guard Duty by Jordan D. White. With Jordan D. White as the Jack, Angela Tymon as Peas Blossom, Guinevere Eckert as Bumblebee, Lynn Nelson as Binary Girl and Dana DeSego, Daniel Schwartz as Dr. Fast, Elijah Weberhan as Mr. Fahrenheit, Devin White as Voodoo Lady, Derek McNish as Ron Riley, and Frank Allen as the newscaster. The end. Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Super Villainy. Episode 5 and Caprices. By Cheryl Casey. Previously on Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, after having allied himself with Phantasma's arch-nemesis Titus Eroticus, Donnie has dinner with Lisa, only to discover that during the interim, his new friend has raised his clubhouse to the ground and rebuilt it anew. My clubhouse! No. Not my clubhouse. That abomination didn't have enough code violations to be my clubhouse. As I stalked up the new cobblestone walkway, this guy in sandals and a tunic had the audacity to hand me a flyer and tried to direct me to the line trailing out the entrance of what used to be my clubhouse. Supervillains clad in every hue of the rainbow fidgeted in line and started awkward conversations with each other as they waited for their turn for whatever was inside. Wh- what? What happened to my clubhouse? Rob! Titus! <gasps> my recliner! Who put my recliner on the curb? Peace, good sir. Peace. The end of the line is three blocks hence. End of the line? This is my clubhouse, you halfwit! I was only gone for an hour and a half! What is going on? Brother Frankie, forgive me, gentle master. I was unaware. Please excuse the disarray of the construction equipment. Dear Titus wanted to make it perfect upon your arrival. But, 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 uh... But the recliner, and, and I always, I really always thought that thrones don't have us. I just wanted to have Aye, sir. That recliner is a remnant of a brutal and most barbaric reign. Please, I would be honored if you would follow me. <sighs> okay. It was like one of those nightmares about end caprices where you relive all the shame and humiliation of your toddler years. You wake up safe in your bed, content knowing that it was all just a bad dream. And then you realize that you actually did crap yourself and are snuggling deeper into the covers and your own bodily waste. The dipstick in the tunic took me to the front of the line where Rob sat at a desk with a stack of numbers. Number 82, Jacob Thompson, King of Bastards. Titus Eroticus will see you now. Number 82, Titus Eroticus will see you now. Rob, what the hell? Oh, hey, you're back. Big T thought that clubhouse was too much of a misnomer and with just the three of us hanging out in it. So he's rallying supervillains and turning it into a guildhouse. 
Guild? You're calling him Big T now? Sure! After all, you wanted us to be the bestest of buddies, didn't you? Next! Hi. Name? Misconception. Misconception? No. Miss, as in the title. Conception, as in last name. So, misconception. No. Miss is a title that denotes a woman is single. Mrs.? Is a title that denotes that a woman is married. Ms. is the neutral title that essentially says that it's none of your damn business, jerk. Right. Superpower? My tears cure cancer. How does that apply to super villainy? I never cry. Okay, Ms. Conception. Your number is 1342. Go take a seat in the lounge, please. There's a cash bar if you're so inclined. Cash bar? Cash bar. Oh, what the hell? I could explain it again, but I'd just be repeating myself. Next! This is not what I wanted! This is exactly what you wanted. We're really gonna slaughter Phantasma now, right, man? I just wanted my girlfriend to pay more attention to me. Stuff it, Jiminy Hatchet. This doesn't involve you. Hey, be nice to the guests. Their patronage has given us the income to genetically modify the deer in the property surrounding the clubhouse estate. But uh, we can genetically modify deer? As soon as the permit clears. Wow. No, 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 no. This doesn't change anything. Dude, you were the one that was so gung-ho about inviting villains into our clubhouse in the first place. Why all the doubt now? None of this was my idea. You mean to tell me that you never in a million years ever want genetically modified deer roaming the countryside? Yes! No! Just, I mean... This is all Titus is doing. I had no say in it at all. I have no idea what's going on. And? I don't want to slaughter anybody. I just want to know that I'm an important part of my girlfriend's life. Oh! I swear to f***ing Christ, Hatchet. One more word and I will feed you to yourself one finger at a time. Hmm. So how does I told you so taste? I forget. (sighs) It is a very sweet flavor. I'm glad you haven't forgotten. Jiminy Hatchet, your number is 1343. Well, I haven't even told you my superpower yet. Everyone knows what your superpower is. Keep it in your pants or I'll classify it as a secondary ability next to your primary skill of annoying everyone to death. Next! I just want- You need to talk to Eroticus. I'm just his secretary. Look, I'll buzz you in now. Mr. Eroticus, Avalon Frankie is here to see you, sir. Many good morrows to Acid Reflex. Frankie, to you as many and as good. I think that means he'll see you now. Yeah, yeah. Go through the door behind me. It's the very last office all the way to the right. Oh, for the love of... Oh, gracious Avalon. Oh, gentle Frankie. Titus, what the f*** is wrong with you? My clubhouse. My f***ing clubhouse. What the f*** did you do to my clubhouse? Those words are razors to my wounded heart. An hour and a half. I was gone for an hour and a half. Is not my sorrow... Deep, having no bottom, then be my passions bottomless with them. You keep your passions out of my clubhouse. I have displeased you. You have displeased me. It doth, my worthy lord, 
and in this match I hold me highly honored of your grace. What does that mean? You have torn my clubhouse to the ground, and I come back to a frat party of evil surrounding a cash bar, a line of hellish proportions cascading out my front door to which the DMV can only dream to aspire, and my recliners on the curb. Pray you, good sir, but that abhorrent creature pained all that sat upon its florid treachery. It was mine to do with as I please. Thou great defender of this clubhouse, stand gracious to the rights that we intend. Here lurks no treason, here no envy swells, here grow no damned grudges. Here are no storms, for though cast aside your recliner may be, in its stead I present to you a noble throne so hallowed that only Hephaestus himself could have wrought it henceforth. I know it was a little threadbare, but... Did you say throne? Indeed, I say. Behold Eroticus's humble name emblazoned upon a throne of Avalon's purple flame. Presence, well-worthy city's evil lord. Receive them, then, the tribute that I owe. I have my own throne now? Aye, yes, and yes. I always thought I'd have my own throne someday. And, uh, all these supervillains assembling here? As mighty a lord as Avalon be, with not the people, what strength have he? So all these villains here- Minions do me right. Villains, draw your swords and sheathe them not. For Avalon Frankie is our commander, and we his striking arm till Phantasma bows in the wretched throes of defeat. You know, Big T? I think you're right. Dear brother, discard thinking, for Eroticus would know. Yes, let's be decisive. Minions, assemble! In that episode of Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, Donnie Palumbo was Ed Jones, the lackey was Bailiff Quimby, Rob was Jordan Randall, Ms. Conception was Angela Tymon, Jiminy Hatchet was Pete Bowers, and Titus Eroticus was Charles Berman. Hello, this is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On February 7th, 1964, the Beatles first arrived in the United States. At Kennedy Airport, the Fab Four were greeted by 3,000 screaming fans who caused a near riot when the boys stepped off their plane and onto American soil. Let's listen. Ah, the Beatles! Oh my god! Wow, all these birds are crazy. Let's go golfing. I agree. I come back, I love you! Fortunately, lads, looks like it's going to pour. I'm Ringo and I'll play the drums. It looks like it's getting a little cloudy, but... Four... Ah! Well, now there's only three. Unfortunately, uh, when Ringo died playing golf in a thunderstorm, the Beatles fell right off the charts and never had another hit again. America and the world lost that terrific music they would have made. And this is the Stay in History on WHRW. But I told you before, you can't do that. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? And I did tell you just there about Ringo Starr dying, but don't worry. Ringo Starr had 100 clone bodies waiting for him because the American government had developed clone technology with all the excess money from their snow-shoveling fees. As a result, rather than using Nazi resurrection technology because they thought Nazi technology is just not a nice thing to use, even if it does resurrect their drummer, the Beatles decided to look through Ringo's 100 bodies to find which one they should use next. The problem, of course, being that the thunderstorm had not yet abated. So when they hooked the consciousness transfer diodes to Ringo's consciousness 
business transfer centres, he was still standing in the middle of the field holding the golf club up in the air. It's a very unusual thing, but he had suffered through this unique thing where when you die, you stay frozen as a statue. It's not normal. And unfortunately, it was at that exact moment that lightning struck twice. Yes, it did, in fact, hit Ringo's golf club yet again, sending a bolt of lightning through the entire system and bringing every single of the 100 Ringos to life. The Beatles became a 103-person band with 100 drummers. It was quite cacophonous, and all because they didn't remember that you're not supposed to hold metal things up in a thunderstorm because, you know, the lightning will, you know, be attracted to it. Come on, this is simple science. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. See you in 26... Oh, we're already back. Clearly, Max. Thanks for playing, though, fearless leader. Welcome back, Flashpack. I trust all went according to plan. We did our best, Alyssa. Do you think it worked? Of course it worked, Molly. If it didn't, Julie would be dead instead of right here, dressed up like a mime. What kind of stupid name is Blinkle Spra anyway? A disguise name, and a perfectly good one. And I'm not a mime, I'm a harlequin. Mime, harlequin? Either way, you're a mute clown. A mute clown that almost slapped you upside the head, Jimmy Kovacs. What was the big idea telling them I was in a disguise? They didn't catch on. That bunch? They wouldn't catch on if you drew them a diagram. Danish, that was us. I know. Regardless, my question was a rhetorical one. Time steppers can never ask questions they don't already know the answer to. The time stream is corrected, as it always was and always will be. Actually, about that. One thing doesn't make sense. One thing? I get the general idea. We went back in time so that when I had the visions, when I saw the future of the flashback unfold backwards in my mind, I would know that I shouldn't sacrifice my life to save Dralis and Keen. And yay, it worked. I mean, I saw that it was too late to take them off the path they'd already started on towards betraying the pack. Sounds like you've got it so far. Right. But what I don't get is how did we go back in time into events that didn't happen? I mean, I didn't sacrifice myself for them. So how did we go into a past where I did? It's quite simple, Julie. It did happen. You couldn't have had visions of those events without them happening. It's just a matter of when you look at it. But aren't we looking at it now? I meant in the fifth dimensional sense of the word when, actually. You'll understand when you're younger. Wait, what? Regardless, now that the threat is passed, I must return to the realm of backwards time. I've just had some tea. I need to go cool some water. Farewell, Flashpack. No hard feelings, Danish. No hard... How am I supposed to get any joy out of calling her a cosmic busybody with enough free time on her hands to poke her nose into the business of every sentient being in the cosmos if she forgives me before I even say it? Don't worry. I'm sure she was offended by it back when she experienced all of time at the beginning of reality. (laughs) Whatever, Thornfield. I'm leaving. But Danish, what about dinner? Ugh, I already ate. I've got a blog exceed a troll. Ugh, that boy. He's got the manners of... Of... Assyriusian? Probably because he is one, remember? The galaxy's designated jerks? Come on, gang. He can't help the way he was raised. And he's a lot better than he was. He just needs people around him who care about him. He'll come around. He couldn't find a better adopted family than the flashback, Dad. Thanks, Jimmy. It didn't help Dralis or Keen. Julie, no. You can't feel guilty for that. It was 26 years ago. I can't help it. Even knowing they would have died anyway, I can't help but feeling like I killed two of my best friends. They made their choices. Keen was already experimenting with the emotional dampener, and Dralis... You know what Dralis was capable of. We stopped her before she became a warlord, but those feelings were still inside of her, just waiting to come out. I know, I know. She betrayed us all, enslaved mankind, tortured you, killed Fertress in cold blood. Fertress? Oh, right. The, uh, cat... Thing. Cat man, actually. Whatever happened to him? 
I mean, in the real world, where he didn't join the flashback. I looked him up once, actually. He became a space pilot, married a nice little cat girl, and had a litter. Then things sure worked out better for him this way. And for us. I'd hate to be flying around in one of those Saladonian cat ships. They're cramped, for one thing. <laughs> and don't get me started on their Maison reuptake conversion rate. They make Venusian trawlers look like Phalloflaxian Q-fighters. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, I should head out. Um, I have three Senate subcommittee meetings in the morning and the the other justices want to hear Stella v. Banana Corp in the afternoon. Well, if you can't handle both jobs... If the people of the moon didn't think I could handle both jobs, they would not have elected a sitting Supreme Court justice as their junior senator. And anyone who tries to take away their rights to make that choice will have to answer to the Constitution. Very good. Keep it up, and the re-election is a shoo-in. Strategy meeting tomorrow at 5? You know it, Jimbo. See you then. So long, Dad. Guys. Good luck, Jimmy. The dangerometer. Uh, actually, no. That's the dinnerometer. It sounds when dinner is imminent. It's new. I made it last night. But it sounds just like the danger- I only have so many alarm sounds. I'll change it. Seriously? A dinnerometer? You're Earth's senior vice president of science and you invent a dinner bell? I'm entitled to have some fun once in a while. Speaking of which, any second now. Come in, flashback. This is Crisp calling you Sweetie, from- we know who it is. Oh, right. Uh, dinner is served. Thanks, Crisp. What did you make? Tofalone cubes franchesa. Mmm, sounds scrumptious. Are the kids with you? No. Will they be joining us? I'll pop over to their quarters and check. See you in a sec, sweetie. I'll meet you guys down there. Yep, see you there. We know, we know. Dinner. We're coming. No, Max. That one's actually Do the... Do you see how confusing this is going to be? I'll change it! Don't look now, guys. It's a familiar face. What is that even supposed to mean? It's Von Wicked Jr. the second, Julie. He makes as much sense as pinstripes on a spacesuit. That was a particularly bad look for him. Max, should I make the call? I'll do it. Come in, Kit. Come in, Robin. Von Wicked Jr. the second is in Yankee Stadium in Luna, holding the players hostage. This is a job for the Flash Pack. We're on it, Dad. You heard the man, gang. Robin, fire up Marvin 21. Ansi, grab the Flash Pods. Danish, polish your fists. Nesta, prep the anti-nuclear time vortices. Everybody meet on the ship. We've got the son of the son of a dangerous man to stop. Flash Pack! Flash Pack! Flashback. Oh, Max. Think we'll ever get used to that not being us out there? We've done our part, Molly. And we still do. We help the kids any way they need us. Our story is over. But it still lives on in the people we've touched and the good we've done. So long as the cry of Flashpack echoes around the galaxy, I'll know I've done what I was meant to do. You're a good man, Max Thornfield. Come here, Mal. And as Max leaned in to kiss his wife, the Marvin 21 rocketed away from Flashpoint, carrying the Flashpack towards another adventure, another villain to defeat, another epic battle. And the Elder Thornfield did not fear for the world. He knew the Flashpack would save the day. They always did. Who are you talking to, Julie? No one. Epic Echoes by Jordan D. White, starring Nicholas Roach as Max Thornfield, Devin White as Molly Thornfield, Lynn Nelson as Jill Slaughter 8215, Daniel Schwartz as Jimmy Kovacs, Joe Coppola as Danish, Ava Rosenblatt as Alyssa, Jordan D. White as Crisp, Elijah Weberhan as Von Wicked Jr. II, Charles Berman as Kit Thornfield, and Guinevere Eckert as Julie Crenshaw. The End.
Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten by Pete Bowers, Charles Berman, and Daniel Schwartz. Episode 4. Debt Dumbfounds Nathan Van Etten. The day is as beautiful as the night, and yet more convenient to see. The two are inextricably linked to each other, each following the one side by side in endless succession. In human life, we too are linked without extraction by complex bonds of obligation. These are what is known as debts. Debts are what we owe each other, and what is owed must be paid by the one who owes it to the one he or she owes. One person who fails to grasp this relationship is our very own Nathan Van Etten. How's it hanging, my invisible follower? It's hanging quite well, Nathan. Thank you for asking. Well, don't get used to it. We find Nathan at home, where he is diligently alphabetizing his dice. And my yellow d20. All done. What a rainbow of polyhedrons. Rainbows are traditionally symbols of hope, and the ringing of the telephone fills Nathan with just such a hope. Hello? Wait for it. Oh, the phone! Hello? Hey, Nathan, it's Carlo. Ah, Carlo, my Italian friend. It is as pleasurable as a stroll down the streets of Venice to hear your voice once more. Right. Anyway, Nathan, I was wondering... Do you remember last week when you borrowed five bucks for that elf warlord action figure? Ah, how well I recall. But I apologize, my Adriatic associate. That was not an action figure, but a miniature. It has no points of articulation. Of course, how silly of me. But the point is, I need to buy some groceries and I don't get paid until Friday. Could I come by to pick up the five bucks you owe me? Now? At this moment? Here? If that's okay by you, my friend. Oh, friendship! It compels me to say yes. Hurry on over. Awesome. See you in a jiffy. Oh, jeepers me. The Italian is coming for his money. Figment of my imagination, do you have five dollars? Why no, Nathan. You know I only use plastic. Oh, for want of a credit card reader. I must have that Lincoln, or the fishes shall be with whom I sleep. Nathan, I realize what I'm asking, but why are you freaking out about this? Don't you see the intricate web of connections, head voice of mine? Carlo's father owns a restaurant. That restaurant serves Italian food. You know who eats Italian food? People from Italy. You know what people from Italy do? Kill people who owe them money. That's a very hurtful generalization. It's important to remember that jumping to conclusions will make you skip over several steps of your argument. Those steps may have supported different conclusions. I'm afraid I'll step into a pair of cement shoes and fall into water. You know what? I'm sitting this one out. Great! Just when I need five of your dollars the most! Aha! My commemorative Franklin Mint 116th scale Minas Tirith piggy bank! Oh, the White City, you are my salvation! Two, seven, nine dollars and ninety-five cents. Excellent. I can refuse the offer that he will make. Oh, but wait! Replacing my commemorative Franklin Mint 116th scale Minas Tirith piggy bank will cost five dollars! I am a nickel short! Oh, Morissette in irony! It's like trying to pay back money when you don't have enough money! Dad!
Dad! Yes, Nathaniel? Can I borrow a nickel from you? A nickel? No more and no less, sir. Do you have it in Lyra? <laughs> Why no, Nathaniel. Lyra are no longer minted. Not for a decade now. Oh, rain upon my wedding day! Why, congratulations, my boy. I've much more than a nickel if that's the occasion. No, Dad, I'm in deep with the mob! Five cents deep? Five dollars! Oh my, that's a hundred times worse. Precisely! You see what a pickle I am brined with! Nathaniel, sit down. Uh, sure. As you get older, time will pass, and you will learn things that you did not know when you were younger. Can we speed this up, Dad? The enforcers are en route. Very well. Long story short, borrowing money is a poor choice when you can avoid it. It's best to learn to spend wisely or do without. Here is your nickel. Thanks, Dad. I take back that thing I said last night. Water under the bridge, my son. Turkish delight? No time. He'll be here soon. Oh, poop! The doorbell! Well, don't keep him waiting. Nathan, good to see you! Here's the money! Sorry it's in coins rather than lira, but they apparently don't make those anymore! Please don't kill me! Why would I kill you? Well, now that I've paid you, there is no reason to. Thank you for your mercy, my Mediterranean muchacho! My respects to your deity, parent! Uh, Nathan, give me back my hand. Oh, sorry. Are we still cool? Can I still count on you for Italian spaghetti westerns and robot movies? Of course! My cousin's mailing me some more next week. We'll watch them when they get in. Oh, praise Lathander. Thank you, Carlo. See you then. Yep, bye. Money is how we exchange goods and services with each other. Without it, whence would come our purchasing power? Wait! I think I've learned something today. I've learned that you should always count on your dad to bail you out of trouble with the Casa Nostra. Family is important when dealing with the Mafia. Oh no! Now I owe my dad a nickel! He knows where I live! How will I pay off the dad father? <sighs> and so we leave Nathan Van Etten, a nickel in the hole, to the dad father. His outlook is uncertain being incapable as he is of seeing the future. But I think we can all agree that he will encounter some kind of event in the days to come. Perhaps you will be there, ready to draw another lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten. In that lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten, the narrator was Jack Kunrat, Nathan Van Etten was Mickey Weishner, Carlo was Rich Bellin, and Nathan's dad was Daniel Schwartz. Where's that piggy bank? Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On February 14th, 1929, in Chicago, gunmen in the suspected employment of organized crime boss Al Capone murdered seven members of the George Bugs Moran Northsiders gang in a garage on North Clark Street. What seems to be the problem, officer? May I seize your license and registration, please? Um, no. Why not? Uh, um, um... You see this gun here? This is not regulation police gun. This is a Tommy gun. Oh, fine, 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 fine. You could see my license and registration. Here they are. Ah, here's the license. Here's the license. Do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't know how you pulled me over. Why? You didn't use your twin signal when you crossed the street back there. I will always use my turn signal. Please take the gun away, please. Which is very odd considering cars of the 1920s didn't have turn signals. I don't care how you use the turn signal. Please take the gun away. This is going to be a massacre. And of course, it, it was a little-known fact that, in fact, the members of George Bugs Moran's gang uh, 
were notorious bad drivers, and Al Capone was a stickler for driver skills. Uh, thank you for listening to WHRW Binghamton. This is This Day in History. But he loves you not. My name is Roy Singer, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And it's only now, 100 years to the day after the Valentine's Day, 18 years before that event occurred, that I can reveal the truth. The Valentine's Day massacre was a complete accident. That fake police officer who killed them all was, in fact, a 6,927th generation Hitler clone. As I said, Hitler was notoriously stupid, and having been resurrected and cloned so very many times made him dumber and dumber as he went. He thought he was a police officer sometimes. He also talked about nonsense, like blinkers and cars when they didn't exist and things like using a blinker when you cross the street. It doesn't make any sense, does it? No. That is why Hitler was responsible. Hitler is the one. The American people do hold some of the blame for funding those terrible cloning techniques with their ridiculous sidewalk shoveling fees. But nevertheless, I reiterate, Hitler does get all the blame. He caused the Valentine's Day massacre, and that's what caused people to start celebrating Valentine's Day, and that's what introduced the concept of love into the world. Which is how the Beatles got popular by singing about love, which was popularized by Hitler. The Beatles, even though they didn't realize it, were popularizing Hitler's ideals. Yes, it is true. Now, make sure that when you're driving, you put on your blinker when you turn. Not when you cross the street, that doesn't make any sense. When you are turning, or when you are changing lanes. Things like that. That is proper driver's safety. My name is Rory Singen, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cass and Wax. Mother, come on, we're going to be late. All right, Cucumber, all right. Don't worry. We've got plenty of time. You know how long I've been waiting, Mother. You've waited 15 years, Hope, and another 15 minutes isn't going to kill you. Besides, we're not going to be able to have access to him until after his speech anyway. But I don't want to miss his speech now, do I? Let's turn it on. Wait, wait. They'll just be introducing him for now. Be patient. (sighs) Besides, we have other things to discuss. For example, your history paper, which is due Monday, if I remember correctly. I finished it. Oh, really? It's basically done. Basically. It's all outlined. I just need to write it. Oh, Shuri, did you or did you not swear to me? Swear. That our outing today would not interfere with you getting that paper in on time. I did all the research already. That's the hard part. I just have to type it up and I have all day tomorrow. Absolutely. If nothing goes wrong, you're right. And what have I taught you about counting on things going right? The only thing you should plan on is nothing going to plan. That's right. What if we end up staying out late tonight? I'll have plenty of time, Mom. I just... I'm sure you will, Cucumber. But I taught you to be better prepared than that. Yes, Mother. Thank you. All right, let's see if he's on the radio yet. Okay. Here, the first time we met, this man is really something special. He's going to go places. Still his introduction. We no, I want to listen. At the time, but even then, you could see it in him. His charismatic voice, his astonishing mind, his somewhat kitschy appearance. It was that charming aesthetic, that social quirkiness that drew me to him. We became high school sweethearts, but... It wasn't long before everyone began to see what I saw, and rightly so. A star as bright as his shouldn't remain hidden away from the world. It needs to shine where everyone can bathe in its warm glow. And as the years went by and his star rose, as I knew it would, I've only become more proud of him, and proud that I could be part of his success. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the winner of this year's Kurt Steiger Award for Commitment to Good Governance, my beloved husband, New York Governor Robert E.G. Kurtzman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. That's him? That's him, baby. Thank you, please. Thank you. First off, I have to say thank you to my beautiful wife, Tabby Kurtzman. I love you, sweetie. And you are too modest. I need to point out, ladies and gentlemen, 
that it was Tabitha who started the campaign advocating for social knowledge, which brought us all here tonight, not me. I was once just another volunteer like all of you. So, sweetie, I owe every bit of my success to you. I owe you my life. What? Nothing, Cucumber. Just remembering. But I also wouldn't be here without all of you. Back when the campaign for social knowledge began so many years ago, neither of us dreamed that it could grow into such a wonderful organization full of so many caring, astounding, supportive, and just plain kind people like yourselves. If my years as chairman of the campaign taught me anything, it was that every single member of an organization is valuable and essential to accomplishing its goals from concerned adults to school kids. It was only through the success of the social knowledge movement that I was able to become governor and begin enacting the social change we'd been pushing for on a governmental level. And that's why, as honored as I am to be giving this combined acceptance speech slash keynote, I know that this award isn't really for me. In my opinion, good governance doesn't come from the leader. It comes from the people who put their trust in that leader. If the people can realize that they want good governance, value themselves enough to know they deserve good governance, then they can see the problem with their leadership, fix it through electing new officials, and move ahead into a world where they can have the leadership they deserve. See, fix, move ahead. Oh, Bobby. It's an important idea. An idea that empowers people to realize the power intrinsic in them to begin with. An idea that deserves to be spread as far and as wide across this great nation as it possibly can be. That's why, tonight, I'm sending out a clarion call. Calling all supporters of Kurtzman. The time has come to take up the social knowledge you're constitutionally armed with and justifiably open fire on the willful ignorance that has broken into your home unbidden in the dead of night. You must go forth as crown-appointed swordsman knights and wield the blade of insight to slay the dragon of doubt and depression. But you know what? That dragon needs to be slain. That dragon wants to be slain. He just doesn't know it yet. Once he's dead, a new age will dawn. A convergent age of simultaneous kinship, bringing mankind together for the betterment of every one of us. And it is to you, my kin, every single one of you, that this award really belongs. I only hope I can continue to do you all as proud as you've all done me. Thank you all, and may God bless you. Good night. There you have it. Was that really him? Of course, Cucumber. That's Bobby Kurtzman. That's the man you need to kill. <sighs> okay, I'm ready. If I set up on the roof catty corner across Not so the... fast, Hope. Did you decode the message he was sending? Of course, Mother. Senator Tootie uh, is... Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh. Show your work. <laughs> he spoke exactly 505 words, indicating a sequence checking every 56th word, starting with the first, giving us thanks brought of to award it great must simultaneous night. Obviously, an anagram for men stalks Tootie, hush out murder of a great Washington bigot, meaning that the Social Knowledge Brigade have an agent on everyone's favorite homophobe, Senator Tootie, as we speak, so if I could just go kill the governor instead of going over incredibly easy decryptions. You have your gun? Under my skirt, inner thigh. And your knives? Not that I'll need the them. The only thing you should plan on. Is nothing going to plan. I know, Mother. As I was saying, not that I'll need them, but they're tucked in the side of my bra just like you trained me. Thank you for humoring your overprotective mother, Cucumber. Come here. Good luck out there. Take that cask son of a bitch down. I will, Mom. I love you. 
And a 16-year-old Hope Cherie hopped out of the car to head to the after party. Dora felt a tear slide down her cheek. She could not believe how fast Hope had grown. And as her daughter walked on closer to killing the only man she'd ever loved, she could not help but be reminded of her own mother. For the first time in her life, she knew, really knew her mother had been proud of her, just as she was of hope. They'd had their clashes, of course, but maybe when everything was said and done, they really weren't so different. Like Mother, Like Daughter by Jordan D. White Starring Guinevere Eckert as Dora Cherie and Lynn Nelson as Hope Cherie with Ava Rosenblatt as Tabby Kurtzman Jordan D. White as Governor Kurtzman and Charles Berman as the narrator. The end. Ride Again, a Chirumbolo story by Charles Berman, Pete Bowers, and Daniel Schwartz. Episode 7, Very Special. Commissioned during World War II to combat the restless dead of the Nazi war machine, an army of mighty robots stood tall as bulwarks of liberty in a world gone mad. Sixty years later, our story continues at the Missing Links Golf Course, where several people are concerned. Roger's been gone a while. You think everything's okay? I am sure that he is fine. You are? No, I lied. And you couldn't just keep lying? Yes, I could. But you didn't. That was another lie. Not in the mood, talk. Apologies, Mike. Prime. Alright, what's all the hubbub? Menlo? Kit? What are you doing here? Roger told us to get over here. Figure something big must have happened. You heard from Roger? What's up? We were hoping that you could tell us. We cannot. Of course. Oh god, the Sarge is going crazy and now Roger? This is the worst. Mike! You spoke too soon. How's it going? 
Oh, you know. So, uh, what you doing here? Taking Starflower here for mini golf. She loves it. No, I don't. Boba's are gross. Why don't we go get you some clubs, young Miss Hitler? Like to get her a club? Right where it'll do her the most good. Menlo! Whatever. Okay, so what's going on? You guys look pretty worried. Sarge has been acting weird. Roger went to see what's what, but hasn't come back yet. So, what? You think something happened to them? That's what we're afraid of. Hey, I think that's his car. Come on, Sergeant. Get out of the car. What the hell's wrong with you, Irons? Wrong with me? Get out of the car and find out. You want me out? I'm out! So you want... I followed you off a boat onto Normandy Beach. Walking dead a half mile deep along the shore. Scared? I won't deny it. Scared of getting destroyed? Never seeing Kid again? Shut up and hold still! You remember what you said to me, Sarge? Yeah! Come on, you reject. Shut up and hold still! You ain't listening! You told me to keep going. That we were programmed for this. I'll show you programming! You can't let fear change who you are. What the hell's that got to do with anything? Look at yourself. You tell me. I'm your commander, goddammit! You were. I'll kill you! What in the hell? Can't move! It's a coupling at the base of your neck. Shuts off motor function. Can't use it on me once after an argument. Get me up! You're the best of us. The bravest, the strongest, except for Prime. Where's the guy who got us through the war, Sarge? You still in there somewhere? Meanwhile, five feet away, the others hold a whispered conversation. Does this happen often? First time for me. You know Saffron? I'm Miss Hitler's personal assistant. Wait, Miss what? It has been a long time since Roger got this upset. And how. Scary sometimes. Most men, they get angry as Roger. They get real loud. So, still glad you came? Still think you're not interesting? Put it too hard What? Talk, you got that sobering card? Yes, right here. I'll take that. Roger, he... Can it talk? If you ever... Having satisfied myself that it can be done, the need to produce another card is obviated. Right. You can get up. Thanks, Roger. I'll just... stay here. Fine. Stay there as long as you need, but when you finally decide to get up, take a good, long look around you. See these people? Your friends? Your family? You're not just hurting yourself. Even if you're alone, or just with strangers at a bar. Come here, Roger. Okay, I'm sober. Now you listen. You made your point, but this is my situation to deal with. I get what you're saying, and these people are the last people on earth that I'd allow to get hurt. And just remember, if you ever raise a fist to your commanding officer again, I'm not the one that's going to be lying on the ground. Okay. Finally. Show's over, folks. Rough stuff. Affirmative.
Why did you let that other robot hit you like that? Cause this time, I deserved it, kid. Can I hit you? I'll give you one shot, and then get out of my steel. <laughs> Starflower Hitler, get over here! What?! Things aren't usually like this. This was kind of a... Sorry, I don't think we've ever been formally introduced. You probably know already, but I'm Roger Irons. Saffron Hitler. Really? Well, that's... Unexpected? Yeah, I get that a lot. You know, growing up Hitler's daughter... Everyone must have... Constantly been after autographs, yeah. Mike says a lot of nice things about you. Roger! What? You do? Thanks. Yeah, Roger. Thanks. Look, Mike, can you give us a minute? Oh, hell no! Listen, why don't you go distract Kit for a little while is what I'm saying to you. Oh, yeah, sure. Saffron, given what just happened, uh, I feel a little awkward broaching this topic. Uh, no, it's fine. What are you talking about? Um, my wife, Kit, uh, that's her over there, is having a birthday this weekend. Oh. Okay. And you beating up that other robot? Something unavoidable, but necessary. And so... I'm trying to plan something really special for my wife, but it seems as if she is very self-conscious of her age lately. I would appreciate a woman's perspective in helping to plan a party for her. That's very sweet. As a woman, you seem like a viable candidate. Thank you? So, will you help me? With the party? Yes. Um, sure, I guess. Thank you very much. I am relieved to know that I can rely upon your assistance. Maeve, come here! Miss Hitler, we're throwing a party this weekend. With these people? Yep. Oh. Good. I'll start making the necessary arrangements. Good. I'll talk with Roger to sort out some of the details. Excellent. I'm relieved to know we will be consulting robots. Miss Maeve? Yeah. You would be Roger Irons? Why, yes. Quite a display. Yes. Right. Planning a party. I'd like to do something special for Kit. Has Sergeant Steele begun a serious recovery? What romantic possibilities is Roger considering? Listen and discover next time on Robot Zombie Hunters Ride Again! In that episode of Robot Zombie Hunters Ride Again, the narrator was Charles Berman, Mike was Mickey Weishner, Talk was Ed Jones, Prime was Eddie Kirshner, Menlo was Jordan Randall, Kit was Jackie Ann Sens, Saffron was Angela Tymon, Starflower was Cheryl Casey, Maeve was Cheryl Casey, Roger was Ed Jones, and Sergeant Steele was Jordan Randall. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. Um, on This Day in History, uh, Frank Allen and Skip had a conversation. Uh, let's hear what it sounded like, shall we? Uh, Frank. What is your favorite color? My favorite color is uh, probably green. Uh, I've always felt sort of... No, it's not really green. I'm lying. Sorry. My favorite color is blue. 
uh, blue's the color of the, the ocean, which I kind of like. It's not my favorite thing, but I, I like the ocean. Blue's the color of, uh, you know, things that are blue. I don't know. I like to have things. If I, if I can get something blue, I'd rather have it blue because I like things that are blue. I like blue. It's my favorite color. So my favorite things are blue because my favorite color is blue and vice versa. Arr. What's what's your favorite color? Well, it's uh, gray, like me. That's about it. Oh. All right, well, uh, don't ever run across the street without looking both ways to make sure there's no cars coming. Oh, thanks. And that was a very important lesson we just learned from uh, this day in history on this podcast. Enjoy. But wait on the sidewalk and look both ways before you cross the street and then listen to this. My name is Roy Sinjin. This is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And while you just found out what Frank Allen's favorite color was, you probably are wondering what his 100th favorite color is. As in, if he made a list of all colors in the entire world, which one would he rank at number 100? And I will tell you the answer to that question. But first I'll tell you how I got the answer to that question, which is an even more interesting story. As you know, Frank Allen is missing and I cannot find him anywhere no matter where I look. And I haven't looked that many places, but I can't find him even if I did look. So, I don't. But I looked in in another world, a world entirely populated by Nazi technology-hating, beetle-loving, Valentine-celebrating clones of Frank Allen. And I took that entire world of billions of trillions of squigillions of Frank Allens, and I pulled them all and asked them what their favorite colors were. And each of them had different opinions based on slightly different parts of the Beatles' percussion that they would hear and things like that, you know. So I took them all together and I aggregated them into one giant master list. And consulting that master list, number 100 is... Crayola color Tickle Me Pink, which has a hex code of F. C89AC. That is Frank Allen's 100th favorite color. Thank you very much. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wags. Thank you, everybody, for listening to those insanely wonderful and insanely large amount of new material. And as I'm sure you heard, I hope you understood what you were hearing. You heard extra special, all new epilogues for Decker and Hayes, Guard Duty, Epic Echoes, and Like Mother, Like Daughter. All four of them. All new little ending pieces to those stories. I think they were freaking awesome. I hope you did as well. In case you haven't figured out what that means, that means uh, we recorded the originals of those shows over three years ago. Uh, over three and a half years ago was when the last ones ended. And Decker and Hayes ended even uh, before that, I think. Was it two years before that? Or at any rate, some point before that. So that does mean that I had to get everybody back together, not physically in one room together, but get all the people who used to record those shows to to help out and either record them themselves or come here to me or any any sort anything like that. So I first want to say extra special thank you to everyone who participated uh, I, uh, their names are listed in the credits so you know who we're talking about but all of those people thank them so much because it was super nice of them to help out and do those and i could not be happier with the way that they turned out they are so much fun and i had a blast writing them and i think they sound awesome and i hope you liked them too because i you know you guys are the listeners and i you know of course i'm going to enjoy the things i do that's like the that's my mo but i think you guys are enjoying them and let me know please please for pete's sake and my own sake write into us and let us know what you thought of this episode which of the the epilogues was your favorite what did you think of the epilogues did any of them let you down oh that would make me sad if they did but if they did let me know were any of them even better than you'd hoped you're like oh i i was so happy to hear decker and Haze again, but it was even better than I hoped because now they're going to have a place in France doing their own investigations for a, for a hotel. That's so cool. Things like that. Just let me know. Let me know. This is the th- stuff I want to hear from you, among other things, but please, that stuff specifically. Also, uh, I just want to point out, I don't know if this was intentional.
original, I'm sure it was. But Slam Jackson was talking about a character named Kickman. Kickman being definitely a character from Guard Duty. Well, he was never in Guard Duty, but he was referred to many times in Guard Duty. Now, of course, in Guard Duty, he was a lousy superhero, whereas this Kickman appears to be a, a supervillain. I don't know if it's supposed to be the same guy, just fallen on hard times or what. But you know who would know? Probably whoever wrote that episode of Slam Jackson. So, Mr. Weishner, what do you think? Um, anyway, people, let me know what you think of all these things. So, speaking of letting me know about things, where can you let me know about it? castinwax at gmail.com. That is the email address to use, castinwax at gmail.com. Scape, I think you have a little song about that, don't you? Yes, I certainly do. How did you know? Uh, well, because I prompted you to have one ready. So let's let's go for one. Castinwax at gmail.com. It is the Thank you very much, KB. And oh, heck, while we've got the ukulele out, why not go for one extra round of my favorite song that we get to play on the ukulele together? Captain Rock! Captain Rock! There is no doubt in your web like substance. You can be scared, so you can just dance and make up a scared Captain Rock! From the channel, Captain Rock! Very fire! You're gonna string a mop, a string of a yarn, the subject of the source of song, Captain I love the Captain Webb song so much. I don't I don't even know, but I do love it. So thank you, Scapey, for that. You're very welcome, Dad. I, I'm sorry my voice is a little hoarse. I just, I, I think I wasn't, I didn't do enough warm-ups today. You really should. That's, you know, that's no, there's no excuse. Your whole job is your voice. Speaking of which, Scapey, speaking of your whole job being your voice, yeah? we have some emails here. Rory, you don't mind if, uh, in fact, Rory, uh, can you do me a favor? Yes, what? Can you read? Uh, we've got a couple of emails here. We've, ha- we've had them sitting around for a while, actually. Um... From Scapey's Rock School. Oh, um, yes. You want me to read them? Of course, yes. Oh, no problem. The first one is about his grade for the semester. So, uh, why don't you read that from his, uh, from his, uh, advisor? Yes, no problem. Um, here we are. Fall 2010 semester grade. Scape man. An A++++ semester for you. You did a fantastic job with all three of your songs. You really captured the essence of each song layer you chose to focus on, and you built rich, catchy, rockin' songs around them. Your critical thinking and explanation of your process was spot on. Also, your insight and and peer reviews in the forums were well thought out and helpful. Really rad semester, dude. I want to let you know, as you advance through RIR, you're going to want to focus a bit more on your essay writing. You are good at expressing yourself in a casual, conversational way, but you're going to need to demonstrate a more professional writing style in the future that doesn't make so much use of words like okay, um, and like. Phrases like once upon a time, and styles of talking to yourself, and having an actual conversation with the audience. Professional writing wasn't a graded part of the class. I was more interested in your thoughts and how you express them, but in future classes, it will be part of the grade, especially if you do a thesis at some point, and I think you could use some improvement in that area. That said, congrats on a seriously rockin' semester. Well, I wish I really could give you an A++++, but the grades actually only go up to 1+, so you got an A+. Keep up the good work. Snake, Samuel Fillmore, Second Year Rock Studies Department, Rock Institute of Rock, London, UK. Yes! Dad, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Uh, yeah, I heard that. He said your writing is not very good. No, Dad! No! 
No, that is not what he said. He said all my writing was fine. I have to work on it for the future. But for now, it was good. Could use some improvement in that area. That's what it says right there. But, Dad, I got A+. Plus. Yeah, but he you, he wanted to give you A++++. Plus, plus, plus. So, really, you didn't do that well. If you compare an A+, plus to an A++++. Plus, plus, plus. Dad, he said you well. Dad, that's not fair. He said he was going to give me A++++. Plus, plus, plus. He couldn't because it was against the rules. So, he gave me A+. Plus. That's the highest you could get. The highest... Possible you could get. I know, Scape. I know. It was the highest possible you could get, and yet you you could have gotten higher. I couldn't have gotten higher. Is that? He maybe if your if your essays. All right. If you say so. I say so. Jesus, Dad. I got A plus. You should be proud of me. You should be saying. Now I'm a good scapey. You are, yes, you are a good scapey. You did very well. A plus is pretty good. That A plus is not pretty good. A plus is the best thing you can do. A plus is the, is the, A plus is the best thing you can do. Oh, well, that's okay. That's okay, scapey. I, I forgive you. It's the best thing you can do. I never did your rap for You're right, Scape. You're right. A plus is good. A plus is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. You think I'm good? Yes, I do. I think you're very good. You did very good, Scapey. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, Sam. I did good. Thank you, Sam. You did good. You did very good. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Okay, Scapey. Okay, okay. Settle down. Settle down. Okay. Because we got another letter for you. Um. So, uh... For your next semester, um, work. Rory, can you, uh, would you be so kind as to read this one as well? Ah, uh, sure, why not? Dear Scape, congratulations on your enrollment in the second year thesis program. We look forward to an exciting semester. I'm writing with further details. When you go to your online registration portal, you will see that there are now a number of sections on the second year thesis course available to you, each under a different advisor who will be working with the SYT students this semester. If you click on advisor's name, you will be given a brief synopsis of how he or she typically structures the thesis, as well as a list of specialties from that advisor. I recommend reading through these to choose your advisor, as you want the person who will best match your style and offer the best guidance for your topic. Your thesis topic is yours to choose. This is your chance to explore some part of music that interests you and that you feel you can spend a full semester working on. With your advisor, you will write a one-page thesis proposal that includes your topic, your methods of study, a brief outline of the syllabus for that semester, and a vision of your final project. This proposal will need to be approved by your advisor and myself. Below are the deadlines and requirements for the program. We are thrilled to have you join us for a second-year thesis and look forward to reviewing your culminating project. Kind regards, Dr. Rock, and the requirements here are say, thesis must include an original musical component and a written component to be determined by the student and advisor. Combined length of these components must meet guidelines put forth by the board of directors and is enforced by the thesis advisor. Student and advisor must meet regularly during the semester in person, via teleconference, or through email collaboration. If student has means to broadcast, he or she will be asked to broadcast thesis proposal and all components of final project. All submissions for board approval must first be approved by the thesis advisor, all further requirements to be determined by student and advisor with final approval from advisor. Well, Scape, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of uh, requirements and a lot of work. Uh, have you have you gotten started on that stuff? Well, no, I just heard about it now. So, well, I did read you this email before. Yeah, but you said you were going to read it to me on the show, so I wasn't really listening. Well, you should have been. All right, fine. Anyway, um, okay, well, you're going to have to go on, and we're going to have to look at these um, advisors and see what you want to do. I mean, you have no idea what you want to talk about, what you want to do, like what kind of project? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, maybe, like, uh, freaking, I don't know. 
what kind of thing can I do? I don't know, Scape. I mean, you could do a really long song. You could do a like an epic length type, uh, you know, long song, or you could maybe do a song cycle, or maybe you could do a like a musical. Well, I don't, I don't think I could do a musical. I only could do like one voice, my voice. Well, okay, that's that's true. But um, you know, like I said, a song cycle. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could do a long thing like um. Like uh, like uh, like like the No Effects song, uh, The Descent. It's like a long song with lots of sections. Well, m- uh, maybe. Or Carnival Nine, which is like a half hour long with three movements. Well, that sounds a little hard, but uh, maybe. Okay, well, I guess you're thinking about it, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, wow, 100 episodes down. That's 100 episodes in the bag. Uh, that's awesome. So please write into us. Tell us what you think of all 100 episodes. Probably not individually. I mean, if you went through a list of what you thought of all 100 episodes, that would probably be a little weird and awkward. But you could tell us what you think of them in general. You can tell us what you specifically think of this 100th episode and now uh, specifically the uh the the, ser- the serials and also uh, as i said the uh, the the epilogues i really want to hear what you think of them in addition write into us about you know advice for scapey on his uh, his thesis write into us about if you've seen frank allen if you know where frank allen is yeah come on write into us we want to know where he is it's been ages dang anyway uh that uh if you have any requests for uh my ukulele is for covers again if you send in a request for a band and i've heard of that band or or recording artist or or songwriter i guess and i've heard of them I will uh, try to learn a song by them. I'm going to be playing uh, playing one in just a moment. Um, what else? What else should I say? If you want an extra historical reading from me, you can write in with a problem that you have that you want me to look into, extra historically speaking. Right, yeah, yeah, extra history now. We used to do that a lot. What happened to that? Well, I, you know, I stopped giving it away for free, but I will again for a little while, you know. If you've got a problem, send something in to me. I'll, I'll see what I can do. All right, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, booby bobby boom babo. What else? I guess that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Oh, yeah, don't, don't don't write in with more stupid questions about the market machine. It's already it's already going poorly enough. Write in with wonderful stalwart support of the market machine. You know, I people keep questioning it. Come on. Anyway, um okay, uh, ukulele for covers. We got a request for the band Peaches and Crime. I know there's a number of Peaches and Crimes fans listening to this podcast, so hopefully you will enjoy this cover that I did on my ukulele. And yeah, there is a ukulele going on in there. Trust me. For Peaches and Crime song Never came back. Be seeing you. Go too far down Larson to a violent blow, and you'll find a soldier whose eyes stand too far. He's no longer young, and he'll never be old. No one knows his death of wits soften told. Everyone hang low. Gone in the mass of shells, barbed wire, and mustard gas. Telegraphs was dropped. The world went black for the man who never came. But he still couldn't stop He had his orders, he went over the top 